Yeah. All right. I'm good. <laughs> Capcom, let's go. Capcom, let's go. <clears throat> oh, is that your nickname, Capcom? No, uh, no, no. I, oh. I did. I only just. Re- oh yeah. <laughs> no, no. That's that's uh, that's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah. No, no. I, I just had you know moon landings on the brain, but. Uh, oh yeah. Maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Now right. we're ready. Capcom is a go. <laughs> okay. Dylan. Dylan! Dylan! Better get on the radio. Mac! Mac! Sergeant! Yes, sir. I want a defensive position up on that ridge. Mine it with everything we've got. Put him in his poncho. Take him with us. <laughs> Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. And with us today, we have a fantastic guests. Of course, all of our guests are fantastic, but we're going to speak to the one and only Toby Capwell. And let me pull up your little deal here. The curator of arms and armor at the Wallace Collection in London, one of the world's great art museums with a substantial collection of weapons and armor. Toby? Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Wow. My pleasure. That's quite the resume, Toby. Very cool. How uh, yeah? How did you get into that line of work? Well, uh, it's a sort of a child's fascination um, <laughs> that that sort of got a bit out of control, really. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think there's probably a lot of jobs where where you know people wanted to be them, you know, wanted to do it when they were kids, you know, firemen or police or or teachers or, or yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I did that with beer. It just got out of control. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yeah, I I, um, I I guess I wanted to be a knight. Yeah, when I was a little kid, and that led me into uh, all sorts of places. But um, museums was one of them, and uh, I'm also interest, uh, really interested in uh, mythology and storytelling and uh, traditional cultures and 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 how and how the world today is still you know populated by human beings with ancient instincts and patterns of behavior and even if we don't know it you know we are still that same species that has existed for thousands of years so um i guess my 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 interest in this movie kind of stems from that in part yeah Um, that was going to be my second question was uh uh your connection to predator um kind of when did you see it uh what did it mean to you um, yeah, if you could elaborate a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I, I, I was born in 1972, so you know a lot of these um, great, famous movies of the 1980s that are you know really enjoying a kind of a renaissance at the moment. Um, it's, it's really great. Of, yeah, I mean they they really deserve it, especially you know you know with the the hindsight that allows us to look look at them objectively you know technically artistically um i think a lot of their virtues weren't really recognized at the time um as is so often the case but because of when i was 
you know, born and growing up in, in California and Seattle, I saw most of these films in, in the cinema when they first came out, when they were totally new and there was no, you know, there was no further culture yeah. or, mm. or, or franchise or whatever surrounding them. It was just a <laughs> film. It was just another film that Arnold had done. You know, this is, he was doing a film practically every year in the mid 1980s, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And this was, this was this summer's Arnold film, you know? Right. So I saw, I saw aliens when it first came out at the Northgate uh, cinema at Northgate yes. Mall. <laughs> I'm so um, jealous. <laughs> and uh, I remember that one really clearly, actually, because I, I came out of the film completely exhausted, <laughs> phys physically, emotionally, spiritually. <laughs> and I should have known better because I actually re I remember seeing the trailer for that one. And I, I saw that at Northgate, too, on these giant, these huge wraparound mm -hmm. screens. There aren't that many of them out there anymore. And I remember watching the trailer to Aliens and thinking, I really shouldn't go to see that. <laughs> That's just, that looks horrible. That looks horribly scary. But you're so glad you did. Um, but I'm yeah. so glad I did. Yeah. And similarly with Predator. I mean, Predator was a weird one because when it... When it first started to get advertised, nobody really knew what it was. Right. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew what it involved. I mean, you knew Arnold was in it, so you know it's an action movie. It looks like he's a he's an army guy. It's a you know, and, and he had he'd done commando, he'd done what else had he done at that point? Um, the Terminator. Um Raw Deal. Raw Deal. Right? Yeah, the Terminator. Um, Conan. So there was a there was a baseline of Arnold action films that this this movie was going to get judged against. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember seeing it for the first time, and it's a movie that, you know, as, as you've already no doubt been talking about, it it's a series of continual surprises. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're getting surprised every sort of five minutes practically in this movie, mm -hmm. and in in lots of different ways, whether it's the the predator revealing himself or being revealed, uh, you know, in different ways or whether it's the, the, the genre of the film changing suddenly and surprising you or the feel yes. of the film, you know, the, you know, that, that, that big, that the, the raid on the, uh, on the gorilla camp is stylistically completely different than the rest of the film right. in many ways. Uh, and I think it wasn't, it, it was directed by somebody else, wasn't it? Yeah. It was directed by Craig mm. Baxley, who yeah, a year yeah. later directed Action Jackson, oh, yeah, Carl right, Weathers, right, and a lot of so I, episodes. So I remember seeing it at the cinema and just being totally kind of in awe of the thing all the way through. And it, I remember it feeling a lot different than what I had expected going yeah. into it. And then, of course, yeah, I mean, you know, later in the film, that the surprises get ramped up pretty fast. But we don't, we're not quite there yet, are we? No, no, we're, not quite there yet. But it's it's totally fine to. Talk around here and there because that's what we do a lot on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all those all those things you mentioned we we have discussed, but I love that you bring it up the genre shift and the the slow reveal. You know, we were talking just last episode about how we're on minute fifty now, and we still really haven't like really seen the predator. We've gotten his camo outline, we've seen his hand in the infrared mm -hmm. vision. Um, but you know, that's a lot of restraint where it's taking a very long time to, to kind of get to this point in the movie where we see the title character really. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and and there was the the eye the you got the eye flash a couple of minutes right. ago. Right. Yeah. You? <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah. That's that's I think that's an important one. That I'm, that kind of yeah. I'm so jealous of you seeing all those uh, movies in the theater when you were able to in the in the 80s. You know, when the, all these movies came out, I was too young. Um, and mm-hmm. so I didn't discover them until I was a teenager in the nineties watching them mm-hmm. on cable, you know, on TV. Right. And you're right. getting a watered down edited version that's cropped to four, three aspect ratio, you know? And, um, and it was, it's really just been in the last like 10 years or so where everything's been transitioned to Blu-ray and mm-hmm. you get full restorations of the original, you know, 35 millimeter prints. And you get to uh, for the for my first time, I'm seeing all these movies of my childhood that I loved, but always mm-hmm. just thought of them as you know kind of these cable TV action movies. But I'm seeing them in all their glory, and they're gorgeous films. And there's a lot of artistic merit to them. And I just feel like we're Absolutely. in kind of a golden age of these restorations that are happening to all these older films. It's been it's been really fun. Yeah, they they recently had a screen uh, a re-release of Predator on on a, a few screens around the UK. Oh um, man, it was there was one near me. I just, I was I, I was going to everything I could to try and get there, but I just <laughs> couldn't for various reasons, and I'm still annoyed about it. But um, I'm hoping it'll come around again. I'd love to see it on the big screen again. It's uh, this film is shot so beautifully. Yeah, it's such a kind of immersive environmental experience. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and you can just feel the suffering of the film crew in the jungle. <laughs> right. And you just think, you know, they are going through this to create something. So at least I could give it a little more respect. I think um, you read some of the early reviews and people just just didn't get it when it came out. I oh, they think. totally missed the point. Yeah. 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 I think, well, you know, a lot of art is like that. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of art is, is not takes a while to for people to to get their heads around it and sure. sometimes you need you need some hindsight you need you need later later work later art to compare it to mm-hmm. and then then it starts to make more sense yeah i think that it really benefits watching predator with all the other 80s action movies in mind um it's all encapsulated essentially in one scene and that's just a couple minutes ago where they are mowing down the jungle with all their weapons including mm-hmm. old painless the minigun and john mm-hmm. mctiernan is saying in the commentary how he's doing all this to one pretend like he's pleasing the action movie fans and fox executives and two really underscoring everything by trying to take the piss out of all that adrenaline and testosterone by making the team not hit anything we hit right nothing 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 yeah (laughs) but he 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 does that in different ways in the film too doesn't he i mean Mm -hmm. the the main characters themselves are like are like action stars Mm -hmm. that have been trans or action hero characters that have been transported into a different movie. And where the hell was I? Where their powers don't work, you know? And they unexpectedly die quickly, you know? (laughs) I mean, I I think Dutch is in a lot of ways a better character than Arnold's Arnold's role in in Commando. Mm -hmm. But of course, in the dress, what they look like, they're almost identical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. and in so many ways, it's the same character, basically. 
Um, and you could, <laughs> I did, wa- I did wa- rewatch Commando recently, and I tried oh, to yeah. watch it as if it's about Dutch. Like this is an <laughs> earlier story or a later story. Something. This is the same character. You know, uh, it, it breaks down because because Bill Duke's in the movie as well. I eat green berets for breakfast. That sort of. Then kills Bill Duke. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, it's like they, they come from different movies and they've ended up in this jungle where they're helpless and they're kind of screwed and you can just see the terror. I mean, this has got, this has got to be one of Arnold's best ever roles as far as I'm concerned. As as an actor, you know, as a proper actor, Mm -hmm. this is the one where he really, he really nailed it. Um, and because you can you can feel that he's the pressure that he's terrified he's got the the leadership role to keep to take care of these people um to get the mission done to make sure his people you know get out alive and he can see that he's he's doomed basically or mm-hmm. you know and and but he doesn't overdo it you know none of these none of the actors in this overdo it and you can really see it in this minute in in 51 they're they're looking down at at Blaine and and uh and Dylan Dylan and and Duke and and uh and Dutch they're all looking they're all totally freaked out Mm -hmm. they're they're on the verge of absolute panic because they all have a wide combat experience they've seen people get killed before but there's nothing in their experience that explains what's lying on the ground in front of them. Mm-hmm. That and uh, they, uh, that's true. <laughs> but none of them are freaking out. None of them. None of them do panic acting. None of them do a, you know, any sort of freak out. It's all behind the eyes, and it's all quite subtle. And they become very, you know, just very quiet. And 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 it's it's is terrifying to see mm-hmm. to see characters like that, you know, completely stripped of their their machismo and their their mojo <laughs> right it's the it's one of the more fun parts of this film is watching all these macho characters kind of meet their maker <laughs> you know and it's not even it's not even hard it's not even hard for the predator you know except for yeah. arnold but that that's a nice uh segue i think uh john yeah. should we kind of fire up the minute here yeah, and I'll probably give like a couple sports names. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna overdo it like I sometimes do. <laughs> when I, <laughs> um, but this is minute fifty-one of Predator. Minute fifty-one opens with Dutch looking toward the destroyed forest and ends with the team preparing for a radio call. Uh, number fifty-one. <laughs> um, I always like to talk about my sports figures, and being from Seattle, I couldn't help but think of two of the biggest number 51s in baseball history, Randy Johnson, the big unit, and Ichiro Suzuki, longtime right fielder and Mariners and Yankees and other teams' histories. Heading for third is Terrence Long, the throw by Ichiro, beautiful, Peggy, got him! Some good uh, Mariners two. players, yeah. woo! Some good Mariners players, Ooh. um... <laughs> Randy Johnson with the uh, not only a porn stash but a porn nickname <laughs> called the Big Unit. <laughs> he really embraced it. Oh, he should be in this film. <laughs> Do you remember that clip when Randy Johnson hit the bird with his pitch? 
I do. Kill that bird. <laughs> Love Kill that. it dead. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, but uh, we let's jump into our first part of what's happening in the minute. Jeff, if you will, take over with the summarizing. Sure. So this uh, minute kind of breaks down into two parts. So uh, carrying over from the last minute, um, <laughs> we've got Dutch uh, kind of looking towards the jungle after Poncho tells him that they hit nothing. 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 Dutch stands, oh. still looking away from Dylan, Dylan, Poncho, and Mac. Mac! 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 And uh, tells Dylan and Mac, Mac. Ooh, should I save this for a dramatic line reading? or <laughs> Let's do a dramatic line reading. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to do Arnold Still Jeff, feel free. And uh, Toby, if you want to uh, take over on Mac's lines there. John, uh, you don't have lines, so... It's fine with me. I'm I'm in the, I'm Ponchito in the distance. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Here's our quick conversation. <clears throat> Dylan. 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 Better get on the radio. Mac. 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 Sergeant. Yes, sir. I want a defensive position up on that ridge. Mine it with everything we've got. Put him in his poncho. Take him with us. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. I got it. And see. And see. Way to go, guys. <laughs> All right. Way to go. All right. Throwing you uh, right into the dramatic line readings. I love that Mac. <laughs> that Mac I jumped in too soon there. Mac. Mac. Oh, yeah. no. No, it's okay. It, I'll, I'll edit to the right place. Don't worry. You're good. You're good. 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 Take okay. a sound like a pro. Mac. <laughs> Mac. Yeah. Mac. 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 Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he says it so quick and quietly. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. All right, John. So, what are we seeing in this segment here? Uh, well, it's a good little oneer here from 19 to 34 seconds. I really like the blocking they're doing and uh, the line reading. The only line you're hearing after um, the oneer begins uh, is Bill Duke looking down at Blaine saying, I got him. I got him. And just extending that idea that these two had a friendship, had a closeness, a camaraderie uh, to the point, to the to the point where Mac is going to look Mac. after his dead <laughs> Mac, Mac, his dead buddy's body. That, that's really showing that bond right there. Um, just, just, just in a minimal way without him having to say like, he's my friend. I'm going to do this for him. It's just, he just does it straightforward. Yeah. Three words. I got him. And then yeah. Everybody, everybody kind of looks at him, looks at each other and continues on their way. And they kind of back <laughs> out of the frame and kind of let him have his moment and, you know, let him to kind of take care of the situation. Mm-hmm. That is a nice little kind of wonder there, though. A good 10, 10, 11 seconds there. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is, isn't that how this film handles that bigger backstory all the way through, though? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's remarkably, you know, just graceful and effortless in the way it, it hints that these people have a history. And it, and it gets a kind of a very detailed backstory in there without ever really saying anything about it. Yeah, and we've um, compared the the dialogue in the film to what the original like kind of working script had several years prior, uh-huh. and uh-huh. and they definitely went with less is more because there is so much dialogue that they took out mm-hmm. and just kind of left things up to the imaginations or left the audience. Um, the ability to kind of infer what happened in the past and to great effect. Like it was a very smart choice. It's Mm -hmm. so easy to overstate, especially when you're sitting there writing it Mm -hmm. to just overstate and write everything down. But it's, it doesn't, it doesn't tend to work, does it? No. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. Less is more 
angle like some of the films you're talking about alien aliens i would throw star wars in there too the original just Mm -hmm. uh by cutting so much and letting the visuals actually tell the story like they're supposed to do in a motion picture um you're giving the audience a lot of credit and honestly it's more fun to watch on repeated viewings and being able to um take out little pieces that you think are there that might not be there but they're at least open for um analyzing and breaking down like we're doing yeah yeah and that i mean that must that must be proportional to like the the rewatchability of the movie Mm -hmm. you know i mean a movie that explains everything and just says everything and shows everything they don't tend to be rewatchable do they but true no i mean i mean this one you could you could keep i mean i tried to watch minute 51 yesterday in advance of this and I and I couldn't stop it. You just I had kept to going, keep going, didn't you? Yeah. And I and I'd, I'd watched <laughs> twenty minutes to me into so it. many times. And, and uh, yeah. you know, how many movies are going to do that to you? Yeah, yeah. I I do the same thing where right? I have to say to myself, uh, "What happens next?" Minute. I just need to double check them. I click on the individual <laughs> clips. I give up and just load the whole file and watch the rest <laughs> of the movie. And I feel <laughs> bad every time. I feel so sad for the characters. <laughs> Every single time. Um, but to, to jump back into something we talked about many minutes ago, they reference their enemies without seeing them when Hawkins is killed as sappers. Oh, yeah. And sapper, as we talked about in that previous minute, many minutes ago, um, a sapper was the military, whatever. It, it still has, it still has um, a place in the military, its own unit of soldier who will go in and either disarm demolition or mm-hmm. set up traps or do some of the to, grunt work. Yeah. Do some of that grunt work um, or set up demolition. And I saw that in my research many minutes ago that that had some medieval roots as well, where sapping meant you would dig under the walls of a castle and make the castle walls fall. And Toby, I was wondering if you had any backstory for sappers of medieval times. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially they're, they're, it's siege work mm-hmm. and uh as you say they have to take down fortifications uh a lot of that is digging they have to yeah. they they dig tunnels under the walls um and then as they're as as the tunnel is going directly under the castle wall they'll start to set up wooden supports um to keep it from collapsing and then uh when they're ready they'll set a fire and they'll burn they burn the supports and that collapses the wall when they they need it to, um, and uh, you know that kind of undermine that's 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 undermining. That's where the the term undermining comes from. Oh my god! Literally wow. undermining cool. the walls of a of a fortification, um, and uh, that's a big part of the job. But then you know as soon as explosives become a, a serious thing, um, you know it's a natural new technology for sappers to, to, to become involved with. So you're actually planting explosives and blowing the walls up. Um, and, uh, and that's the, the modern derivation of, hmm. of, of modern sappers who are explosive experts and, and demolition and so forth. They don't blow up historical buildings much anymore, although it, it does happen in the middle East, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, you know the role that 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 Mac kind of has in the film Mac. is uh, Mac, Mac. has an ancient pedigree as as a lot of this does actually. Once again, I would be a terrible medieval sapper. 
Oh man, it's a it's got to be a bad job. I mean, ter- there, I like would the tunneling in the first. World I would get tired. I'd yeah. pass out. I'd uh, not do my job all the way, and then when the wall <laughs> didn't collapse, everyone would turn and look at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's. I mean, you got to have a certain mindset to do that job. Yeah, there's a yeah. um, there's a surviving uh, tunnel in a at a castle in Scotland oh. that I went to a couple oh, of years cool. ago. And you can still go, you can still go through it. Um, and I, I thought, yeah, that'll be fun. And I went down there and when you, <laughs> when you actually get into the tunnel, seriously, it's very, very low oh, no. and no, no, no. much, much more off putting than you would realize. And I just, my brain just said, no, not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and no power on earth would have gotten me down there, you know? Oh, oh like where you have to like breathe out to fit in some places because that always yeah yeah me out. exactly oh my god exactly no no no, 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 no. no thanks I, oh how, how how to make a war even worse than it already <laughs> oh is oh my god i am i have some claustrophobia and so even just thinking about that gives me anxiety that sounds terrible <laughs> but i don't I, i'm not claustrophobic normally in any way yeah and it's um, still, it's still been, uh, was off-putting jeez no uh-uh mm. don't want to go there yeah. I think that's just like instinctual at a certain level where your your human instinct, your survival instinct just yeah. says, no, this isn't about like irrational fear. This is a rational fear. Right. <laughs> just don't go in there. Don't go in there. Like the person in the movie shouting at the screen. Don't go in there. Don't like, in there. I hear you. <laughs> I will not go in don't there. Don't run upstairs. Run out the front door. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Awesome, Toby. Thank you. Uh, do we have other tidbits for the first half of this minute, John, that you wanted to address? I believe this is the last of the battle damage you'll see on Blaine. Mm. I posted, um, I believe I posted a picture on Facebook listeners, uh, group, the predator minute listeners, Palapa. I don't know. I'll make sure to post and post it again if I haven't yet, but you see that chest cavity just burst open, Mm. which for the first time ever, I don't know why I didn't make this connection before for the first time ever. Uh, you have like this clear visual connection to an aforementioned movie, Alien and uh, oh, yeah. Aliens with like the chest bursting. I'm not really sure mm-hmm. how I didn't see that before, but I have to think that this is a Fox production. They're um, cribbing from their own work to, hey, remember like the aliens that pop out of your chest? Mm-hmm. Hey, guess what? Here's another alien who pops a chest in a different way with a, a plasma weapon. Yeah. Nice. I didn't think of that either. That's a good parallel. It's, it seems like the Predator can... Uh... To, can dial up or down the power of that blaster that he's got. Yes. Because he, he shoots other people and it has different effects later on. This is about as, he's got this turned up to 11, I think, in this, in this <laughs> yeah. one. It's like it's the, first time, to... <laughs> it's the first time he uses it, right? It's the first time we see it. Yeah, it's the yeah. first time we use it. It's and... like he held down the L button on his controller to charge it <laughs> and then fired with the R button. <laughs> he set it to professional wrestler level. Right. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> You're going to need all the juice. <laughs> but what... Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a different minute, but I've always wondered... He gets hit first before before he gets shot with that as well. I never quite understood what was happening. Oh, yeah. yeah, we talked about that in a we previous did. minute. That was yeah. um, the first weapon that the movie makers came up with because in the script it just says the weapon there's no description of what's hitting him so you're just really left to wonder reading the script and so are the filmmakers so Mm -hmm. at first they thought well let's just give him like a harpoon gun or something like that and that's what will graze him and then if you 
if you notice when Blaine is hit, he's not, it's not a one shot. It's the plasma cannon is coming from behind him. And then it zooms right. into his face with his chest cavity bursting open right, um, because right. they had all that filmed and they added in later the plasma cannon when they decided that's what his main weapon was going to be when they had to right. do the whole yeah. costume and monster redesign. Yeah. When you Ooh. slow that, that scene down real like frame by frame, you can see the spear like weapon fly through the frame very quickly yeah um yeah yeah. so because we had that exact same question and so we had to break it down to figure it out that's okay because he they've got stuff like that in predator 2 don't they they've got yes yeah and predator 2 doesn't he have that that, like circular like uh blade weapon oh the buzzsaw the The what What was it called Oh, I don't know what it's called, no. but it's like the Busey Killer. Yes, the Busey Killer. <laughs> That's what it should be called. <laughs> R.I.P. Gary Busey. <laughs> R.I.P. In like fifteen or sixteen seconds in, in that in that second shot, have you guys noticed this? This is something I was wondering about. I wanted what you think about this. This is a very unusual angle, upward angle that they're shooting at here for the conversation. It's like, yeah, when yeah. when when Arnold's looking off into the distance and Max looking down and, and Dylan is wondering what everybody's going to do. It's like, um, it's like the viewer is, is Blaine. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like a Blaine perspective. And you're looking up at the people who have, who have, have survived so far. And now it's like the story is going to go on without you. Oh, um, mm. that's brutal. And, and, I mean, it's not exactly Blaine because Blaine's a little far, farther over into the frame, but this is a, this is essentially Blaine's viewpoint post-death. That whole scene takes place like they're shooting down at knee level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of creepy. Yeah. And it, you're right. And it, it also gives Arnold like this very towering presence in the scene. He looks much taller just from force Uh perspective than everybody else. Um, Wow, that's interesting. And that's a heroic that's a heroic angle, isn't it? I mean, yeah, they they, uh, sure. they do that to Sigourney Weaver and Alien. They shoot there's a couple of places where you see her from that kind of angle and it make it emphasizes that that she's becoming the the central player in a in a film where that hasn't been obvious up to us up to a certain point. I mean, mm-hmm. we always we always knew Arnold as the hero, but uh but yeah, it does it, it's a it's a really really striking um, shot i think yeah 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 good catch yeah this is uh i mean in my opinion this is mctiernan's best film it's my favorite one people cite die hard a lot but uh, i just like what we talked about before the minimalism but the, a variety of camera angles and um he employs the rack focus which is my rack. favorite camera technique rack um, I, I notice it all the time and whatever we're like whatever movie or show I'm watching i'll notice the rack focus even like in kids shows they'll do it like a little rack focus <laughs> uh, but it's employed a great effect here, especially later on with Arnold's eye acting and uh, the predator blood um, and the one-on-one scenes. But this is a, yeah, another example of a, an impressive camera technique, which like you're saying, Toby is possibly meant to evoke this reaction that we are Blaine as the audience. And our team is shocked by our demise. Our team is hopefully going to gain some degree of revenge uh, on the attacker mm-hmm. yeah and it just emphasizes the con the the consequence i mean this is one of the ways this film really diverges from other action films of the period you know action films don't tend to dwell on consequences of action they have the action and they move on and that person once that person's dead they're forgotten but this this movie has a lot of consequence in it comparatively 
Um, and this shot is kind of like that. It's, uh, it's, it's dwelling on Blaine after he's been killed and making you feel the implications of that. Yeah, we're, we're all out of one-liners. We're all out of quips and jokes since um, I guess the well-ass one-liner was probably uh, Dutch saying, knock, knock. Right. Knock, knock. Right. You right. know, in the, in the guerrilla camp raid. Uh, since then, it's been most, or it's been by and large, a very serious and grim film. Yeah. As yeah. Uh, their team is being whittled down. We are on to the second half of the minute here. We've just got a little uh, vignette of, of Anna. Anna reaches out to a leaf that is aglow. <laughs> Hang yeah. on, Jeff. Can I interrupt yeah. you real yeah, quick? Yeah. In, in all of our minutes recording, I have noticed you saying Anna, yeah. Anna, like together like that is a double name. All the time. You, <laughs> I, know, what it, you know what it is? My wife's name is Anna. <laughs> oh. So... And in the movie, her name yeah. is Anna, but it's like, might as well just call her. But I appreciate that, and please keep so it up. <laughs> it's instinctually when I see that name written, that's how I pronounce it. And then I have to catch myself be like, nope, that's it's Anna, not my wife, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> all right, start over. <clears throat> yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, all right, so that brings us to the second part of the minute here. We get a little <laughs> vignette of Anna. Uh, who reaches out uh, to a leaf that is Anna. aglow with green slime, which is, of course, the uh, predator's blood we learned in the previous couple minutes. Um, Dylan appears behind her. He says, Dylan! Dylan! He says, Vamanos. Uh, Anna rubs some slime on her pants. She follows Dylan, and we end the, at the minute Dylan, as the Dylan. camera kind of descends on Billy, who is guarding Poncho and Dylan as they set up Hawkins Field Radio. So the main thing to take away from here is the uh, the blood, <laughs> right? Our glowing green blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, John, what do we have to say about this? Uh, well, this is a mix of KY jelly mm. and that liquid that comes out of a glow hey. stick. <laughs> Just yep. so, you know. so you're my Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. That was so. an easy one. Just lobbed that up there. <laughs> that was, yeah, the old Kentucky jelly blood rub we all know <laughs> how that goes um i have to say it looks a lot like there's some after effect glow work done here too and that's i don't know that the uh, anything's going to make that bright of a an impact that's not like light based uh in a, on a camera so I'm, I'm curious to see maybe i can find out later if they use some sort of after effect to make it glow they turn the brightness of the contrast up it is kind of sparkly yeah it's i mean very sparkly yeah. I would say it might be like a, a bright light right off camera, but I feel like you would notice that on everything else in the scene, but you don't. Um, it is very glowy. Yeah. Probably just wouldn't show up in the daylight, would it? I mean, later on when you see it in the dark, it comes out much clearer yeah. in yeah. camera, but they, they must have had to do something to it because it, it has a kind of weird shimmer to it when you see it like running down the the leaves and stuff it does it does yeah um so we are to assume john that this is the uh blood from the predator the yauta blood as it's called yeah yaucha yaucha is yaucha. the can't yaucha is the canonical name for the predator species and from the website xenopedia uh, which is the predator and alien um, mashup encyclopedia, kind of like Wikipedia is the encyclopedia for Star Wars, or I forget the one for Indiana Jones, is Indypedia or Jonesopedia. Jones. But uh, it goes on to talk about 
Yaucha blood being neon green bioluminescent substance that originates from Yaucha, it has been known to be warm when spilt, implying the Yaucha are warm-blooded creatures. However, this could be due to the thermal netting warming the Yaucha's body and therefore its blood. Hmm. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot else to add on to there. Nothing really interesting from Xenopedia, but the fact that it has a unique blood, again, made another connection for me in my mind to the Aliens franchise, how the Xenomorphs have um, acidic blood that yeah. um, makes them one more step harder to fight. So did you guys have any uh, examples specifically of different bloods in movies or stories? Hmm. Uh, there's well, there's Mr. Spock. He's got green blood, Tom. doesn't he? Oh, oh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Yeah, Star Trek, <laughs> 1960s. That's got to be an early uh, sci-fi blood example. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Explained by I think I'm not I, I don't I'm not actually hugely literate in Star Trek, but I think it was explained that that uh, Mr. Spock's blood is copper based rather than iron based, explaining why it's it's green. If your blood were red instead of green, you wouldn't have an upset stomach. Hmm. Hmm. And I think I think Captain Kirk hits him in the head with a lead pipe in an episode, and <laughs> and uh, and you can see the green blood quite well. It's great. It's a game of yeah, Clue on Star it Trek. Is. That was television, right. man. I think he 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 uh, he uh, explodes with a, uh, a a line of racially offensive epithets before he hits him with the pipe as well. Oh, 1960s. Oh, that's good. That's good. I can't think of any other interesting blood splatters. John, can you? I don't know. Are there any horror movies, Jeff? Because I know you're the well, horror hound. Where all the horror movies the is usually like, like black or weird. Well, uh, I will say that Dawn of the Dead, the sequel to Night of the Living Dead in the late 70s from uh, George A. Romero, featured zombies who the way that film was filmed, the color scheme they used and the lenses they used, the blood ended up looking almost bluish. It's one of the things that people talk about in that movie is that like the zombies look like they have bluish reddish blood. It does it does not look natural, uh, and it's very goopy, like syrupy. Um, and there's so many gore effects in that movie that you see it all the time. So that's one I can think of, I suppose. But every you know most horror movies, it's like they relish that that red blood splatter, you know. So you get that bright mm-hmm. red usually. Yeah, one of the color schemes of this movie we've talked about is the green and the red. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of jungle, a lot of camo for the green. The Predator's own um, outfit has some green in it. Um, and then the Predator's blood is green. And then you talk about the red. Well, the red is all the, <laughs> the guts and the blood uh, of the team and uh, some of the blood of the uh, gorilla. And the light inside the helicopter. Yeah, and the light inside yeah. the helicopter. Excellent. Not not to be too pedantic about this, but if I'm gonna be, this seems like the place to do it. Yeah, might as well. Um, yes, please. Don't don't the pre- doesn't uh, doesn't a predator have two different kinds of blood? Hmm. I mean, I, I I ask this because you got the the green stuff now, and that's that's the the famous blood. But like, if you look at the predator's mouth, you know his gums are pink, and he's got red colored blood vessels on the inside of his mouth and so forth. Mm. Um, so, Whoa. and, and, and 
in the script, in the original script, which you kindly provided in advance of the recording here, um, when they're describing the, f the fight, the climactic fight, um, I think they describe the, most of the blood as orange at that point. Yes, um, orange. But then, but then he, when, when, when the, the predator gets killed at the end, they, um, they also describe green slime as well as the orange slime, I think. Um, ah. I don't know if that's ever been brought up, but I've, I've always been worried about the blood vessels in the mouth. Hmm. I mean, shouldn't shouldn't it shouldn't very it be good green? Question. Right, shouldn't, it shouldn't should his, be. Shouldn't he have luminescent gums, like, like light sort of luminescent gums, light green luminescent gums. Yeah. You're right. I just yeah. realized I made a mistake. Right when you said the word orange, I realized that the blood in Dawn from the Dead actually looks orange, orangish, not bluish. So sorry out there oh, to right. all the horror people. I just wanted to correct myself. <laughs> uh, they already they already turned off. Yeah, I know. Stuff, yeah, they're, they're... I've already my <laughs> inbox is full. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> And that inbox is once again <laughs> his personal email. No, no, we're not going to throw that in there. But. Thank you. You can send all but, yeah. your complaints to predatorminute at gmail.com. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting, though, as, as sort of an alien yeah. physiology that they have two different, completely different circulatory systems? That would be, that would be something. I don't, I don't know what. I don't know what it means, what it gets you, but. Uh, <laughs> It seems like that's what's going on here. It does. Yeah, you want to make a really weird alien, give it two different kinds of blood. I, I, I like that. Yeah, maybe like one for, like you said, circulatory, one for uh, the waist. Ooh, <laughs> there right, you go. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's the first one that came to mind, but I don't know. Because I teach middle school. That's, that's why. why. There that's you why. go. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're getting close to the end here. Uh, what else? Did we have anything else to add, John, to this uh, sequence? The second part here is she's finding the blood right before she touches her hand to it, and then it's interrupted by Dylan. And we have we have a little musical drop, and I'll drop it here in the episode, that um, is the same musical drop that was played when Billy found the skin bodies of Hopper and friends. There's this kind of looking into the void kind of wall of sound music. It's really hard for me to describe, and I don't know what instrument they're mm. using. to make it possibly just like a synthesizer, but it's just kind of this wall of sound, this this kind of sound Ooh. right before she touches it. And um, like I said, Billy, see, Billy is um, about to find the skin bodies. You hear that sound. Uh, when Billy and Dutch are looking at the jungle before Billy says, I guess it's nothing major, you hear that same sound as the camera is zooming into the jungle. And I, I take this to be one of the Predator's motifs. The Predator doesn't have a lot of motifs, but he does have the drums. He does have this kind of sound. Mm. Um, I think he has a little bit of the high strings, suspenseful sounds that we've heard throughout. Uh, but it's it's a neat little touch they add. And of course, it just cuts right off as soon as Dylan is behind Anna giving like a really echoey reading of Vomitos. Like it is echoey. It's kind of strange. Vomitos. Like almost yeah, like it's an ADR, really but I can't tell. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. And she wipes that blood on her shorts, which will come up into conversation later. But the camera kind of lingers on her shorts, like it's going to be this real big plot point later. I feel like though you don't see it on her shorts here. No, but you see her. I don't know you see her you wipe. You see her. Yeah, you very clearly <laughs> see her wipe, and you do see it at yeah. night, like Toby said earlier. 
but you don't see it in right this is the place where we pause it over and over again i don't see any kind of glowing on her pants i don't either there so it's interesting that it's glowing on the leaf and not on her pants but that's the magic of ky i guess (laughs) it is magic magic. (laughs) jack daniels jack daniels jack daniels um yeah so toby do you have anything to add for this um what we're seeing on the screen before we kind of dive into a little bit of uh, medieval analysis no no i don't i don't think so i mean I, I like the use of the blood you know kind of um to drive the story and to inject an element where you know for a while part of the problem for them with this situation is they know absolutely nothing about what they're dealing with nothing it's completely mm-hmm. out of their experience but you know the blood is the first inkling that you know they're getting some kind of information it takes them a little while to figure out what mm. what it means or what it can tell them um but it's that it's again it's like literally that drip 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 of information about the predator that they're getting and that we're getting at the same time i mean we've we've gotten little bits of information about about the predator that the characters don't have but not a lot so seeing the blood is important for us as much as it is for them. Well, they're not even seeing it yet. It's just Anna because they don't learn about the right, glow blood right. until much, much later. Yeah. They have to work it out. And the right. only reason they're able to work it out and make some some use of that information is because she wipes it on her hmm. on her trousers. Mm-hmm. If she hadn't done that, it wouldn't they wouldn't have been thinking about it later. She might not have brought it up again. Right. But no, she's staring she's at it later and she can work it. out that that's they, they don't even know it. Is. She doesn't even know it is blood at first, does she? I don't think so. She might have the idea later. Maybe she just has to process it for however long it takes to for her to <laughs> reveal it in English later on in the movie. Uh-huh. Arnold convinces uh-huh. her to start speaking English. <laughs> to speak uh-huh. English. Uh, but and one of the reasons it's you know that the blood is warm too is that. Um, if you mix the glow stick stuff with KY jelly, um, if you heat it up, the glow lasts longer. And obviously, obviously the lasting longer is important for the shot (laughs) before having to mix up more. So they did, as far as I understand it, they did actually heat the stuff up to make it glow better. (laughs) Sorry, which, which part, which more energy in there. Which part are we talking about heating up to make it last longer? So many jokes swimming around. I can't can't pick just one. I think both. (laughs) (laughs) They're just, they're just rubbing it on that leaf. Keep, keep rubbing it. (laughs) Heat it up. I think the only way we're going to find out is if one of us does this concoction at home. Someone has to make some KY and some, some, I'll put. We'll post the video. Yeah, we'll rub it on some leaves really vigorously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real vigorously. Uh, okay. Uh, since we have this very special guest, Toby Capwell from um, the Wallace Collection, with um, a wide range of armor and weapons, I had to think of. Where I, I I immediately started thinking about knights and the characteristics that knights are usually known for, and I, I was starting to put Dutch 
on kind of that knight pedestal, thinking of the different qualities that a knight has that Dutch also has, thinking about things like courage, his aptitude with a variety of weapons, uh, leadership, chivalry, because later on he's treating Anna like a a real person, a a little bit later in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But he has a, a high sense of honor and a strong devotion to protecting his fellow soldiers of being part of a military unit. And um, mm-hmm. Toby, I was wondering if, if you'd want to speak a little bit about that, about Dutch's knighthood. Yeah, yeah. It's funny uh, when you you mentioned that, I realized that I never really thought too much about that. Um, I mean, I like to think about this film as a myth, as an ancient human story mm-hmm. that in this case is being retold in in modern terms. But it's got a lot of really ancient campfire storytelling aspects uh in it um and i guess i had gone too far back for that to occur to me but of course you're you know you're absolutely right i mean i'm i'm very interested in the con- the connection or relationship in uh, of this film to the story of beowulf mm, yeah um which is really you know it's you could call it early medieval um but, uh, you know, it's the Anglo-Saxon Viking period. The Beowulf poem was written in the, the 9th or 10th century, um, or maybe very early 11th century. Um, but, it, you know, this story is essentially a version of Beowulf in many ways. You've got this, this giant man-like, troll-like monster that is, you know, decimating trained warriors uh, who are initially at least kind of helpless and 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 don't know what to to do to oppose it um uh but you're you're you know beowulf you know is part of a heroic warrior culture that goes back a long way that you know from from the 11th and 12th century does develop into medieval chivalry as as we know it so yeah you're you're absolutely right um Dutch Dutch is a kind of modern knight and and indeed um you know the the special forces soldier is an analog the for for a knight a knight was the the special forces elite soldier of the of the middle ages you know these are people who have a higher level of combat and martial arts training than average soldiers they have access to better weapons better training better equipment um, they have a the elevated social status, but they they also at least are supposed to act um, and apply their you know their force their power um, according to some kind of moral framework uh, you know some kind of system of values that that mediates the use of force. Um, and, and, and so Dutch, you know, he's a, he's a great example of one aspect of knighthood, someone who has a strong moral compass, um, and, you know, extremely refined, um, skills and physique and, and, uh, mental training as well as physical training. Um, you know, he, again, this is why I think this is one of Arnold's absolutely best moments as a proper actor. He really... He brings the warrior spirit very much to the fore. You know, a warrior is, is a you know proper warrior is someone who keeps his cool, who can look at things clearly, who doesn't you know doesn't panic. They have a they have a certain detachment, um, and uh, and I think he you know he cares. He has feelings, 
but they don't rule him. Um, and he keeps it together and he, he commands in, a, in, a, in subtler ways. He doesn't just shout at people and order people around. I mean, there are lots of great examples in the film where, where he, he uses subtler methods to get people to do what he, he needs them to do. Mm. So all of that is great. But I mean, I'd, I'd extend that idea to everybody, to the whole team. I mean, they're all, they're all aspects of knighthood or of the knightly identity. Um, and actually, I think you've also got, you've got the kind of social complexity of chivalry in, in this group as well, um, because knights need support. You know, they need backup. They need people who are assisting them. They need the esquires and the pages and the horse attendants and, you know, all the people who, you know, you know back up what they do. Um, and, you know, the characters like, uh, like Hawkins and Poncho um, strike me as, you know, as esquires. I was just thinking that, yeah. You know, they, es yeah. esquires yeah. or, you know, squires, esquires, they, they are, they're the assistants to the knights, but they are also warriors in their own right. They also have to fight in battle and, um, and they are very often, you know, future knights. They will, they will attain that status later on. Uh, but it, so Hawkins might be, you know, almost like a knight in training. Cause he seems, he's a weird character. He's like, he, Hawkins is like, he's not as well developed as the other characters. And, you're never really clear well, why he's, he's the, there uh, or what makes him special. He's the jester, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But, you, but it's he's like you're uh, not clear about what his abilities are that makes him so special as to deserve to be in this. He's group. the radio guy. He's communications. Um, right. Yeah. He's the he's radio the techie. Man, He's yeah. the techie, right? He's the tech, yeah. Um, he's the techie with the with the pussy jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he also seems younger. <laughs> you know, some of these guys seem yeah, old right. enough to have served in Vietnam, right? Um, and right. the implication is that they were in Vietnam, but Hawkins doesn't seem old enough for that. Um, and, and also Poncho, there are some squires who never attained knighthood, who stayed, um, stayed at that level of status their whole lives because they just, they didn't have the means to take up knighthood or they didn't want to, uh, assume the financial, political, social responsibilities that knighthood brings. So Poncho is like, the, the lifer squire almost. We have nothing. Um, <laughs> and uh, but then but then like characters like Blaine and and Billy, I mean they are extraordinary expressions of certain aspects of of the warrior identity or or the the knight the knightly um, archetype. Um, you know, there's that. You know, with Billy, you got this connection with the natural world and this incredible power of observation and sensitivity to what's going on around him there's something in those trees um and you know blaine is like the embodiment of the the prideful prowess you know he's like he's beyond proud goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus he's the worshiper of himself right. you know i ain't got time to bleed um and if he worships himself everybody else should as well mm -hmm. you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's right. uh, those are aspects of knighthood. I mean, you know, chivalric culture, the the literature of you know courtly romance and all of that. There is there is this aspect of self reverence um, and the celebration of individual prowess. Uh, but that's also a failing. That's also one of the dangers that the true warrior has to 
has to deal with you know you you can't you can't get too self-involved because then you might care if you get killed or get put in danger and warriors can't be concerned with that wow thank you toby that was very cool Hmm. yeah it's i mean it's this is the this is the point of this film i mean you know again people didn't get it at the time i've never heard uh predator talked about that way you can but you can and i I think that just shows the, the the quality of the film i mean part of it's in the writing but part of it is you know very much introduced as they as they developed it while they were filming it. Um, um, but yeah, it just, mm-hmm. part of it is, is undoubtedly consciously intentional, but I think there's a lot of levels to this that occur subconsciously when people are making a film like this. Um, they might not always know mm-hmm. what they're doing it, but they still are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're even uh, encountering a, a dragon yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at first mm-hmm. without knowing mm-hmm. it and then later on trying to catch it which when you think about it like that it's just a ridiculous ploy like hey we have to catch the dragon mm-hmm. like no you just need to kill it there's no no catching <laughs> necessary you just need to open up with your firepower or whatever weapons you can lay hands on mm-hmm. and the predator too is a knight <laughs> that's a good um, point i mean because a, a a hugely important a hugely important part of a knight's life was hunting mm. Um, and in the 14th century, there's a very famous hunting book uh, written by a French knight named Gaston Phoebus. Um, and he says that hunting is the preeminent training for war. Ooh. He says if you, know, you want to get ready for war, hmm. the danger, the, 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 the injury and death, the use of weapons, hunting is the best preparation um better than tournaments or jousts or anything and um you know i think later as the character of the predator develops in subsequent films and in comics and so forth different writers get confused about whether the predator is a hunter or whether he's a warrior and what is the relationship and the the whole um the, the whole system of values that the predators seem to abide by it's very inconsistent but I think for this film, it's important that, you know, the hunted and the hunter kind of reflect each other and are, you know, you know, different sides of the same thing. Yeah. And (laughs) Jeff Hmm. Jeff loves to call out the predator in this movie because (laughs) even though he comes from a race of honorable warriors (laughs) and hunters, (laughs) he he totally camps. He's a camper. (laughs) Let's be honest. He's shooting people from behind trees. He's totally invisible. He could kill everybody if he really wanted to, but then um, his own downfall, like you mentioned before, is (laughs) this... Um, this arrogance, this worship of self. I think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. way you could um, put a lens on the predator psyche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Good, good talk, stuff. you guys. Um, John, are we ready to wrap things up here? Or some quick weekly recommends? Toby, uh, every week we uh, talk recommends about a movie or a song or a book or uh, some cool shoes or <laughs> whatnot that you would recommend <laughs> uh, something that you've mm-hmm. been sitting on a while or something you experienced recently. Yeah. I mean, um, as far as learning more about historical weapons and, <clears throat> and so forth, um, there's a YouTube channel I would highly recommend called Todd's workshop. 
Uh, Todd's a friend of mine here in the UK who does a lot of work in film and television. Um, he's also a fabulous um, uh, craftsman and working a lot of different materials, but he he uh, specializes in edged weapons and uh, crossbows particularly. Um, and he's constantly posting hmm. little videos about historical weaponry and the realities of using them. Um, you know, what works, what doesn't, why do people do this and not that? Um, what are the myths, common mythology or misunderstandings about stuff like this and how can we, how can we explore them? Um, it's, a it's a really great channel for, for uh, introducing yourself to traditional weapons and the realities of them because there's a lot of, you know, bad information out there that's, that's hard to make your way through. Um, if you don't already have quite a lot of knowledge. So definitely, definitely check that out. I pop up on there now and again, but, but mainly it's just Todd <laughs> shooting at something or, you know, and it's just great. It's just a great <laughs> yes. channel. So, and, and it, and actually, you know, learning more about historical weapons I found really helps to kind of explore, um, you know, characters and films like this and especially the predator who, you know, despite the fact that he has some pretty advanced technology, he still, he still favors his old uh, sharp implements. Mm -hmm. Speaking of weapons, I, I guess I have to ask, what is your favorite weapon? For what? Well, <laughs> I mean, well, okay, let, let's just start um, where you're working at the, at the Wallace collection. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you mean like my favorite as an object rather than for practical use? Yeah, let's go there. I mean, we're talking, I mean, uh -huh. I would say old painless, but that's kind of a modern thing. But if we're talking like medieval weaponry, uh, do you have like a, a favorite that sticks out? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Wallace is a fairly small collection mm. as, you know, great international collections of arms and armor go, but it has many quite famous individual objects that are, you know, fabulously interesting for lots of reasons. Um, right now, I mean, and, and my favorite objects change day by day, just about depending on, on what I happen to be working on at a particular moment. But um, right now I've been pondering the, um, uh, the European versus non-European aspects of the collection. Um, because it's because it's a Victorian um, collection that was formed in the 19th century, it's always been divided into the European and so-called Oriental armories. And Oriental in a Victorian sense basically means anybody who's not white and Western uh, European. Right. Um, and so Oriental means basically <laughs> the whole rest of the world. And... Um, but when you divide the collection like that, it, you, you lose a lot. And, and there's, there's fascinating interplays and crossovers that really enrich your understanding of the collection. And right now I'm looking at this fantastic um, Italian Renaissance sword that was assembled about 1540, something like that, in Italy. Um, but the blade is a, a much earlier Ottoman Turkish blade. Um, that might even date from like the, the, the 15th century, which is, you know, in this context, pretty early. Um, I mean, by, by comparison, we have a lot of other Ottoman swords in the collection, but they almost all date from the, the late 18th and 19th centuries. Mm. And so now then we have this one really early blade that was put on a European 
sword hilt with European scabbard and mounts and so forth in the uh, in in the 1540s, and it's just a fab it's a fabulous example of an object that tells you a story. You can imagine some Renaissance Italian gets his whole hands on this exotic, uh, fabulous blade and uh, and and dresses it up and does his own thing with it. Oh, cool. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, you can think about weapons wow. practically, but you got to remember that they're also expressive art objects, mm. and they they have a lot of other a lot of other stories to, and things to tell you, and, and that applies to their use in film as well. I mean, all of the Predator's weapons are there to tell the story and to and to flesh out the the character. That's what they're doing. They are they're all you know pretty impractical as actual tools, right. but. But they're th but they're there to tell the story, and, and it works. You know, it's one of the best examples of that. Right. Things like, oh, this is a futuristic technology that you're seeing right away when he takes out Blaine, but then mixed, mm -hmm. like you were saying before, with the wrist blades, that there's mm -hmm. must be some I don't know some some martial training too, not just projectile weaponry at their disposal. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of inconsistent about their their sort of attitude to weapons, but um, but we, you know we get into that later. But um, but clearly they have they have this weird status of being you know very advanced technologically and yet somehow kind of tribal uh, at the same time. I mean you don't get a whole lot of that in this mm -hmm. film. I mean most of that is is later development in Predator Two and, and and subsequent films. But but there's a hint of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a hint that he has a code because he won't, in this film, he won't kill people who aren't carrying weapons. No sport. Um, and that obviously gets developed more later in the sort of predator chivalry, if you will. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, Jeff, do you have uh, something to recommend too? Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be uh, quick here. We've been having a very intellectual conversation about predator I'm going to bring things back down to my level here with this recommend. <laughs> um, all the Friday, the, or excuse me, all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies have landed on a Shudder. If you are a Shudder subscriber, which is an all horror movie streaming service. Anyone who knows me knows I love horror movies and my favorite franchise is actually Friday the 13th. Um, but I've been wanting to go back and revisit the Freddy movies uh, just because I haven't seen them very much. And there's some that I've never seen. So I watched part three last night and it was fantastic. I loved it. The practical effects were so good, super fun, quintessential late eighties, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie streaming on shutter in full high restored Blu-ray definition. It is gorgeous. Check it out. Awesome. That's my recommend. <laughs> Thanks Jeff. Yeah. What you got, John? Well, it's just, clicking through the old Netflix uh, the other day and I came across a movie called MI5 which just happens right to have <laughs> British connections which is awesome didn't, didn't mean for that to happen but uh, it's it's a it's a nice little taut conspiracy thriller just following uh, the MI5 director disappearing after a, a botched job um, dealing with a terrorist 
and the terrorists escape, which happens in the first five or so minutes of the movie. <laughs> is this um, a the Netflix movies, original? This is not a, a Netflix oh. original. It's actually based on a long-running British series called Spooks. Oh. I, I learned um, later on, and I immediately now want to watch the TV series Spooks uh, because the, um, the star performer of MI5 is Peter Firth playing the escaped MI5 director, Harry Pierce, and he's uh, one of the main characters on the TV show Spooks, which ran from 2002 to 2011 for 86 episodes. Um, I did a little bit of research on the actual show, too, uh, but I really liked MI5. It, uh, one of the stars is also Kit Harington from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, Jon Snow. Yep. Uh, you and... know nothing, Jon Snow. You know nothing, Jon Snow. She's right. You don't. Exactly. I don't know what that means because I'm not a Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> watcher, but it sounds awesome. I do know he spells the name J-O-N, which is the right way to spell it. Uh, but check out MI5. If, if you see it on Netflix, uh, the first thing you're going to think of, like I did, is, is this Mission Impossible 5? Because the poster That's what for I it, thought you were going to say. <laughs> the poster for it looks like a curly-haired Tom Cruise, uh... you know, jumping and holding a weapon <laughs> in the air and it says mi5 in very stylistic writing can't help but think uh, about mission impossible mission impossible but plays more like a uh, a jason Bourne or i don't know some other figure who's trying to uh, figure out his own government conspiracy during the movie <laughs> but check that out mi5 on netflix today <laughs> nice <laughs> Uh, this is the part of the show where we talk about where we can reach uh, our guests and our co-host and the uh, podcast itself. So, Toby, where can people find you if they want to contact you and talk more medieval or Renaissance armory details? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm based at the Wallace Collection during the week in London, um, and uh, I'm on Facebook, and I pop up here and there. Um, I write books and articles as fast as my schedule will allow. And, um, you want to check out what I've written, please do. I've also got a, um, a page on uh, academia.edu where I, uh, I try to put as much of, of my work on as, and make it uh, downloadable oh, cool. and accessible as I can. Um, so check that out as well. Um, yeah, yeah. The the Wallace Collection has a uh, YouTube channel, and I've done a couple of uh, films on there and and uh, and elsewhere. And and do you still joust? Oh yeah, yeah. There's that <laughs> as well. Yeah, I um uh I'm also uh you know um involved in uh, Western European martial arts uh, in competition. Um, I uh, I helped found the modern historical jousting uh, community about 25 years ago, uh, and I still uh, uh, compete in tournaments in different parts of the world. Uh, I'm done. I've done a couple of jousts this year. I'm not doing any more. I am fighting in a in a armored longsword tournament in Italy in October, um, oh my which gosh, should be pretty awesome. cool. Um, uh, that's uh, that's not on horses. That's <laughs> yeah. just on foot, but. Um, but it's 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 uh, up close and personal, so uh, it should, that should be fun. There'll probably be uh, some kind of uh, uh, web presence for that oh. as it as it happens. Are you, are you, do you yeah. go by Sir Toby? Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no, I try not to. I mean, I, I, I sometimes the sort of role playing kind of tends to alienate sure. your audience, and and I, I'm, I'm, I really try to find ways of getting getting my audience to empathize with with the people in the past that I'm dealing with. You know, it's it's very easy to kind of think of people living in the Middle Ages or whatever as as a, a, a strange and alien and somehow other. Uh, but they're actually just like us. They're you know remarkably yeah. just like us, and we are like them. And and I so I try to do everything I do as myself, um, except in certain situations where you know you know uh, for a TV program or whatever we're trying to reconstruct a, a historical event. But in in modern competition, um, it's you, you do it as yourself in a modern. Okay. I, I would probably be Sir Crazy Legs because I've always liked that nickname, <laughs> Crazy Legs. <laughs> I'll just dance around the outside of this or right inside the circle on the edge. <laughs> just, it's just default. Oh, sorry, you, you just—it was another tie. I don't know. <laughs> give it to him. <laughs> All right. So, Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Carl underscore Hungus three one four. My name is Carl. He's been expert. Jeff Glover's on the Twitter. Come find me there. I posted today about Tetris. It was exciting. Oh, mm. nice. Are you playing that Tetris 99 on Switch? Ooh, I have been playing that a little bit, but I also flipped on ESPN today and they had... Oh, the Ocho. Oh, the Ocho had competitive Tetris playing and it was fucking awesome. And I was... Oh, yeah. There's, I was, there's pros out there. Dude, they're so good. They are so yeah. good. Uh, it's all I want to watch. I just want a channel that's 100% competitive Tetris playing. Uh, I think they have it on Twitch. Right. Go, <laughs> right. Go check it out. I'm sure you'll find okay. uh, innumerable channels. All right. Sounds good. All right. If if you want to contact the show out there, yes, you listener, uh, drop us a line, PredatorMinute at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter, at PredatorMinute. We have a Facebook discussion group. So come tell us all about your knight's tale or your uh, medieval name or your favorite weapon in modern times or uh, medieval times. Uh, you know, talk about Toby and, and his expertise. Reach out to him there, too. Uh, that is on Facebook at Predator Minute Listeners Palapa. And I believe that's it for this minute, Minute 51. So for Predator Minute, I've been John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And I'm Toby Capwell. And until next time, stick around. Stick around. Mac. Uh, Mac. 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 Stick around. Mac. <laughs> Mac! 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 It's all bullshit! You set us up! You set us up! It's all bullshit! Bonus. Hey everybody, this is Heidi Let off some steam. Bennett of Vibrant Visionaries Podcast and Spinal Tap Minute Podcast. And this is a quick little promo for an upcoming event that my co-host Sean and I wanted to tell you about, and it's Movies by Minutes Portland. Welcome to this promo, Sean. How are you doing over there? Fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me. We're going to be meeting up in Portland, Oregon on Saturday, August 24th for live podcasting games on the stage we've got the movies by minutes guys from star wars minute actually it's going to be a mashup of star wars minute and the godfather minute oh wow that sounds great yeah and then uh we're gonna have the newly pod game rick from mad max
Max Minute is going to be hosting that Vibrant Visionaries, where I'm going to have the fellas from Open the Podcast Doors, Hal, (laughs) (laughs) which I think you could probably figure out which podcast that is. Yeah. Yeah. And then just added the cast and the furious. So lots of live podcasting and some games going on. So I wanted to ask you about the game that you're going to be a part of. Why don't you tell me more about the Cystic Fibrosis Fundraiser Movie Trivia Tournament? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, trivia competition between teams of uh, movie podcasters and movie fans answering uh, trivia questions about movies. In Portland on that Saturday will be uh, the final round to name this year's champion. And this is all to raise funds for research into cystic fibrosis. The contestants can get hints from the audience for, um, I think it'll be 5 or $10 or something like that. Yeah, so just a little bit more about the event. It is actually the third year we've done this. We started by doing a Movies by Minutes in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Last year we went to Denver. This year we're in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Tickets are $20. It's a family-friendly event, and it's really a social event. So we'll have a break for lunch. We'll have a beer and wine will be served. And um, and then lots of live podcasting and just opportunities to socialize and and hang out with fellow listeners, hang out with other podcasters. If you're a podcaster out there in the Pacific Northwest, we'd love to have you come and, you know, mix, mingle and swag swap with us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just a, it's not just for the Movies by Minutes listener, but the podcast listener and fan alike. This is not, it's not a a technical conference. If you've, if you've ever been to a conference for work where everyone's talking about kind of the behind the scenes stuff and the nitty gritty There's certainly some of that that will be experienced podcasters there. So if you're looking to get your own podcast off the ground and and you want to talk to some people and and get some input, there's that as well. But it's mainly for listeners. Listeners should, I think, would get the most out of it. See some, you know, see your favorite podcasts live on stage. And also there are a lot of folks that will be coming in from around the country and around the world the, the formal meeting itself that you need to buy a ticket to is just that Saturday, but we'll be around that whole weekend. I know a lot of the podcasters into board games. So if you're a big board game person, there's going to be informal gatherings of people playing board games. If, if you're into pinball and arcade games, I've been scouting out arcades in the Portland area, and there's a few that are not too far from the theater. So I'm sure there's going to be some pinball and video game uh, playing going on that weekend as well. So it really is a a whole weekend of uh, fun and events for, again, for podcasters, for listeners, for folks that just love to talk about movies. Sweet. We should tell the fine folks where they can get tickets. Go to moviesbyminutes.com slash Portland. That's moviesbyminutes.com slash Portland to buy tickets. Again, tickets are 20 bucks. Listeners, we look forward to seeing you there. All right. See you in Portland. See you in Portland.